Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy folks, welcome back. You probably can't hear it, but I'm recording from inside an atmospheric river. Pretty happy to have rain here in California, regardless of how it arrives, though. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Hey, it's planning season, so if you're looking for ideas, stick around to the end. I might have a couple, but I won't make you sit through that here. We haven't talked much since the very beginning of this podcast about corporate communications, but today we will. We're going to talk about how to do that well and in the context of DE&I, which I know a lot of companies are thinking about these days. So now let's jump into my conversation with Renee Connolly. Renee Connolly is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Merck KGAA Darmstadt, Germany. And I'm happy to have her on the podcast today. Welcome, Renee. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Excited to be here. So your previous role, I need to mention, is that you were the head of global communications. And this podcast is going to be about internal communications, but in the context of your new role, I think it makes a lot of sense to use that as a case study. You've been in communications for 20-some years, and now you've recently moved into this new role. Just to put some context around this, I'm sure your goal is to make the workplace more inclusive, but there's more to it than that and a lot of communications to make that happen. So fill in the big picture for us. Okay, Chris, no problem. Actually, I my former role where I was the head of communications for the life science business of Merck KGA Darmstadt Germany, which is Millipore Sigma here in the United States and Canada, I had a saying there and it exists as I move into this new role, content is king. It's a little bit of an overused cliche, but it is the fact of the matter. You can be a great communicator, but the better you understand the content, the more resonant is the messaging and the more you're going to be able to really have adoption over time and understanding. Interestingly enough, it doesn't change in the space of DE&I. We're dealing with lots of topics. It's a broad concept, a lot of broad concepts in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those three words in and of themselves can have a tremendous depth. And, and knowledge needed. So from a content perspective, I think on my first 90 days here and probably for the next uh, 90 days, we're going to be focusing a lot on inclusivity. So what does it mean to perhaps change your actions, your mindset, and then eventually your behaviors to become a more inclusive member of our community and our organization? And then in turn, I think that's going to pay dividends to the work we do with our customers and the work we do in the places where we live and work. I have to throw this in here because in a separate interview I did on the SDBN Buzz, the San Diego Biotech Network, I interviewed Denise Hummel and it just popped back into my head. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but there's an app that people use around inclusion to like after a meeting go and evaluate your own performance. I thought that was fascinating. Listen, I'm going to have to LinkedIn her and get that because I think it's something that's very important. We do training in the space of DEI, unconscious bias training, inclusive leaders training. But there's something to be said about who you are as an individual at any given period of time to do that check-in with yourself. Did I just behave inclusively? How was my behavior during that discussion? How was my thinking during that discussion? So any app, which it's not shocking to me might exist, it's probably a good tool 
to make it very individualized. So talk about how do you get command of that content that you were talking about? So you're going to focus on inclusivity from your end. Like, how do you decide what you're going to present and how to present it in a way that people buy into it? I've been doing a lot of talking with different individuals. I'm, I'm a communications expert by competency. I'm a passionate DEI individual who now has this great honor to lead the efforts for a global company of almost 60,000 people worldwide. I think it's a couple of things. One, I think everyone's on this journey bringing DEI more embedded into their organizations. So, talking with others, learning from others understanding where people are in their journey, big companies, small companies, international companies, U.S.-based companies, all that's been very helpful. Talking with the team just within the organization, my colleagues in Asia, my colleagues in Germany, France, Portugal, Brazil, United States, Canada, all the experiences are different. So understanding their experiences and understanding that their cultures are different. So it's not even that a region of the world is, there's so many cultures within that. But I think it comes down to when I, do all this listening to really three things, which is the framework for what we have to think about. One is how do we create diverse teams so that we get as much diversity of thought at the table when we're making decisions, creating better business models, doing things within our organization. Two, what business strategies or practices can we put in play that take DE&I into consideration? Are we thinking of a diverse customer base when we're doing making products, marketing products, how we work, even in the life science and biopharma section? And the third is, how do you show up? How do you show up both to be considered a credible participant in the conversations and the dialogues that are important within the relevant regions of the world as it relates to DE&I? So you have to be an active member of that community, whether or not it's really doing something community-wide or it's being relevant to help that conversation along. So I'm looking at those frameworks. There's a lot more, I'm sure, but it's a learning curve for everyone. And I think taking the time to make people understand what role they play in creating an inclusive environment is really the key here. Right, and you must certainly, of course, I'm in the US, you're in the US, and so we think about these challenges based on our own experience. But then you're talking to a global company where the diversities are different. <laughs> And their particular challenges are probably different as well, right? You know, like I said, there's a terminology that's different. There are cultural nuances within even a region or a sector of the world, which is incredible. For me, what it really comes down to is each individual, each person has a story to share. And the behaviors that we, we enact on or how we perform at work or bring to work every day is deeply embedded in our roots where we came from, the households we grew up in, the educations we received. And I think part of this inclusivity for me is understanding those stories a little bit better. How can we really create an environment where this open learning is taking place? I was reading something, there's an experiment going on in Denmark right now, which is a human library, they call it. And rather than taking out a book, you have a conversation with a person for 30 minutes that are different. I am, maybe the person says, I am a recovering alcoholic, or I am uh, a person from this part of the world, or I am this, I am that. And you have this 30 minute discussion because that human interaction of really listening, learning, and appreciating what they're bringing to the table, I think is really what's going to make us move the needle across all of our businesses in the space of DE&I. 
Yeah, I love that you mentioned everybody has a story and this whole idea of a human library. I was thinking sort of along the same lines, but not so directly. What would be the value of doing little mini bio documentaries about different people in your company all over the place that you could look up and go, oh, this is the way they work in Japan, for example, where I have no knowledge, but a little bit of understanding that the way they might do a meeting is very different than the way you and I might do one. For example. Absolutely. I have an amazing colleague. She grew up in Ghana, which is a very specific culture, now working in Germany. And she's a, she was a computer science major, and that's what she graduated with. Now, computer science, female from Ghana, coming to Germany, bringing that skill set. It's amazing to have a conversation with her, and I appreciate it so much. Because when she comes to the table, she's bringing all that with her, which is the beauty of diversity. Right. Because they don't think Renee Conley thinks they think differently or they have different experiences that they can bring to the table. I think that moves the business in a better direction. I think it adds value to the business. And I think maybe where companies get stuck is, is it a black and white value uh, business case for how DE&I drives top line? Maybe not, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be over the course of the next couple of years. Yeah, that's just a great example. And my experience in life science companies is everybody thinks that you talk to the customers, you know the, the best. But if you want to grow, Ghana, for example, <laughs> what do we know about the way they, what they care about? So that kind of leads to my next question is you have about 58,000 employees you're trying to deliver a message to. And as you just mentioned, all over the world, how... Do you set out guidelines and let local people work off of those frameworks to do what's to deliver the message further down the line? Or are you sending a message from your office to everybody and hope that it works? I think it's a little bit of both. I go back to that triangle. There's the stuff that comes from the central DE&I office, which is like, the things that are related around governance or how we have set aspirational KPIs, things that you could do, considerations you can make, some very specific training so that we get people really changing their mindset. Then there's the countries and the regions or business-specific areas that might be different and you want to give them the ability to move with velocity on things that might be relevant to their spaces in the world. And then there's this, these organizations or ERGs, employee resource groups that exist within the company, which I think people are familiar with. And that's your grassroots passion for diversity by different teams or different groups that allows you to come both top down and bottom up in nurturing an inclusive culture. And I think if you can do that well, uh, all with the eye on a DEI strategy that plays into the business strategy then you're going to get buy-in both at the top, the middle, and, and the lower levels of the organization. And you have to understand that the tactics you're going to use for each of them might be a little bit different, but I think it has to be multi-purposed. And you know what, what I'm finding, having been a communicator, but heavily embedded in the business, because I, at the end of the day, believe communications, DE&I, are business enablers. Business rigor in so many things we do in life science, in pipeline development, in product development, in service development, all those things. And that business rigor or that rigor about what is the business problem here and what do we have to do to correct it from a DE&I perspective because of the value proposition conversation is just a little bit uh, harder for people to understand. 
maybe a little bit harder to put concrete goals and objectives in place. And I think those who are in the DEI space, which now I'm part of, have to move the needle on over the coming weeks, months, and years. That's perfectly leading into the next question because you already mentioned all these other processes that have a lot of rigor around them. Of course, everybody's too busy. So how do you, when is how much is enough when you're trying to deliver this message and not overwhelm people to say, oh, geez, man, another email from the DE&I people or I just can't do all this stuff. What, what can I do? Baby steps. A couple of thoughts. One, it shouldn't feel like an on top of thing. It's not like you should wake up today and say, I'm going to be doing the DE&I stuff that Renee tells me to do. That's absolutely not. I have four children. I tell them to do enough things all, all the time. You know, what I want my colleagues to do is I want them to be in this with me. I think it's critically important that we have a sense of belonging. We ensure a sense of belonging for all of our employees. And that is whatever, where they came from, whatever their gender, race, sexual orientation, whatever that might be. Do they have a sense of belonging here? And in our organization, our CEO has rolled out three kind of spirits or senses of belonging that she wants to have within our organization is that we care, we pioneer, and we outperform. And I think that if you could keep the messaging simple and consistent, how is it from a DE&I lens, you can be a more caring colleague, or leader, boss? How is that you can be more pioneering with the DE&I lens? What does it look like? to pioneer in a space? Have you ever looked at certifications for certain products that might be accommodating to a religious group with the products that we make? That's being a DEI mindset. That's being business enabling. And then 30, how do we outperform? We're a business and we're all trying to outperform. We're trying to outperform for the goodness of the world, uh, for our patients, for people who use our products, for people that benefit from the products that we make. I think if you think about it and you bite it down that way, it's almost like how can you make it relevant to each and every individual employee without making it overwhelming, right? This right. isn't going to be solved overnight, but this is something that I say if we're intentional, if we're more intentional than we have been in the past about achieving our aspirations, which I'm really proud we just at Mark AGA Darmstar Germany just announced our KPIs and aspirations for 2030 at our recent Capital Markets Day. Now with those aspirations, what is it that I can do each and every day, each and every week, each and every month, each and every team meeting to maybe do a little better of making this a place of belonging in a more intentional way? Nice. So we sort of talked about this already, but just in case... There's more to say about it. how do you tune your messages so they resonate globally? First, I think you have to think and act and listen locally. You can't be talking about things only from the U.S. market, trying to understand or pretend to understand what's going to resonate the best in China, in Tokyo, in um, Portugal. Like You need to talk to people on the ground. You need to make sure that you have your network we call them inclusive site leaders that help us to understand what are the kinds of conversations that are going on in your region of the world, in your community, in your site. What is it that we can do to help make this resonate and stick better? Two, I think there are some non-negotiables, the aspirational KPIs or what we're all achieving. Does every single person have to achieve to, every, to, to contribute to every single KPI? 
Probably not. It might be difficult in some regions of the world. But then take a stake in the ground, make a stand and say, these are the KPI, this is the aspirational KPI that I can contribute to or my region of the world can contribute to. That's the second. And then the third is, this is where I think the ERG is very helpful because the ERGs, we do something that we've been talking about lately called net the networks. So the ERGs are like networks around the multi, you know, cultural uh, around the world. How can you net the networks so that you're sharing best practices and you're sharing shared experiences so that people in China understand what's going on in the U.S. and people in the U.S. understand what's going on in France and people in France understand what's going on in Italy so that we can all become better. It's a global world and understanding that the tensions or the challenges may be different at the base. They're very similar. And it comes down to that mindset, the behaviors, and having actionable ways that people can contribute to a changing world and a world that post-COVID, I think we're also just trying to figure out how do we wrestle with it? How do we evolve as an organization? And how do we appreciate that lots of people have changed in many ways over the course of the last few years? And what does that mean for our business? And then you talked about this a little bit, but let's talk about getting the message when you say down to the lower levels. How do you get those people to carry on that message and, and answer questions that they have, when, that, that they must have about what they're supposed to do or what's realistic for those aspirations? I think that when you're talking about people that are at the mid-level of the organization or people that are maybe on your production floor at other levels of the organization, that you have to close the gap between the top and the bottom. So one observation I have is that as our gen generation, our millennials and our Gen Xs are coming into the world, are the managers or the people that are creating strategies for them, are they from a different era of training? Are we sure we really understand what it requires to make sure that messages get to them and that they stick? That's one thing. Two, in a multicultural organization, one of the things that we have found is that language is a barrier. So sometimes we have different people in our organization that are doing abroad assignments. Maybe they speak a different, their native language is different. How do you make things accessible in multiple languages? It sounds simple, but I think we've gotten away from it a little bit. We need to really make sure that we're doing that. And then third, I think modes of communication. So we need to make sure that from a DE&I perspective, it's not going to just be a training a poster, a one-time thing. It's a repetitive, consistent uh, pulse of information that's presented in different forms. Some people like podcasts. Some people like um, a, more visual. Some people like a little bit of a training. But I think it's also important that our managers are well um, embarking on a strategy where they have messages that are clear and relative to their employee bases so that people know how that they can contribute. And then we... Um, I think over time, have to think about how do you reward those that are behaving in an inclusive way so that then that becomes contagious. And I don't mean reward by paying them to be inclusive. Reward them by saying that is a behavior that we want to emulate in other areas. You're doing a really good job about bringing diverse perspectives into the mix when we're making business decisions. Kudos to you. So how do we do that in our We reward behavior when it drives profits. We reward behavior when it does other things. So what is it that we can do to also reward that kind of muscle building that I'm talking about as we go through this process. That was, that's just good coaching. If you see somebody do something right, I, I coach soccer. We won one game in three years, <laughs> but 
Some of the parents like what I did. They didn't see me coaching at practice. This is totally aside. Because I was hard on the kids in practice. But in games, I would only point out the things they were doing well. Because you can't fix it during the game. So if they do something right, yeah, that's the thing. Do that again. That's it. By the same token, I think we have to get more firm in um, our organization to not tolerate bad behavior. And I'm not saying that it goes on. But it's not even maybe bad behavior. Or it might have been things that were acceptable in the past. But today, we need to be much more conscious of the way in which we're doing things and how we're doing this. And when I go back to intentionality, I mean, are we recruiting at the right places? Are we making sure that all of our colleagues feel that sense of belonging? Are we making sure that people, when they're speaking at the table, feel like they can contribute in an open and a safe place? Like, how are we doing that? And then when we're not doing that, or we observe people that don't create those environments, how do we take that into consideration and give that person important feedback? Because you have to set a new trajectory going forward. We're going to really own this, be accountable for it, and then work as we move forward. What I like about what you just said there was all those examples you gave were not something that I would be personally offended if you said I was doing it wrong. In other words, you could say to me, hey, Chris, have you thought about recruiting over there because X, Y, Z or things like that? And I would never go, oh, geez, she doesn't like, you know, it just seems like a reasonable thing. Like there, there are other options besides saying you're not being inclusive or. Right, Absolutely. You just, I mean, and, and the reality is we're a successful business. Many businesses have been successful and maybe we haven't looked at this DE&I lens as much as we have. So some people are going to be like, listen, I was doing pretty darn good the way I was going. Now you want me to do all these things. Why? Listen, the world is changing. We talked about that already and, and that requires us to, but maybe there's something we all don't know. Maybe there's exponential business potential that can be achieved if we did bring in people who didn't think like us, act like us, behave like us, or bring the same kind of educational backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, these, this ability to tap into shared experiences that are different than ours, I really do believe brings a richness to business decisions that hadn't been there before. And once we start feeling like it's like a snowball, that people who are converted believers, converted supporters of this kind of come over and then they start earning success, people are going to start looking. But we're still at the beginning of this. I was a little naive. I thought that maybe we were much more advanced in the DEIC's, but I'm finding we're all on this journey at different stages. But it's not like I can see anybody that's really far on the journey who's been doing this wonderfully for the last 25 years. I think it's, you know, something that we're all in this together kind of thing. And that's going to be important so that we can bring these shared perspectives to the table, but we can bring the confidence that's required to make sure that. Our, our leaders at the top, that commitment at the top, are there to help us to amplify the importance of DE&I in building a business. Right. Anybody who was doing this well for the last 25 years um, came from another planet. I'm just guessing. They didn't grow up here. That's, that's why we're doing this, is because we've lived in a world that's different than the world we live in now. And, and it's and, interesting, especially in life sciences and biotech and biopharma, which I know is big. You're running. We have lived in a world of scientific advancement over the course of the biotech boom and this sort of growing life science world for the last 30 years that I've been a part of it to see like where we've come to 
and where we're going. And if you just look at the last 18 months, what we've seen and the contributions that this industry has made to COVID and fighting COVID and what that means, it's remarkable. So sometimes I think about DE and I, I'm like, okay, how do we look at it like we look at scientific challenges, right? Do we go at it with that kind of gusto when you have such important things in the line? And I think when we think about it, what got us here, I don't think is going to get us where we need to go. And the ability to tap into a more diverse population of people who are getting tremendous training and even specialty fields that we need or going to college now that maybe weren't going to college before, that's remarkable. But we have to be very intentional, like I said, and I think we have to be really also this is not about compromising capability in any way, shape, or form. This is just searching harder, making sure that we're being very diligent about what we're looking for. And then once we find individuals who can augment our teams, making them feel nurtured and in a culture and an environment that drives a high impact and allows them to deliver, uh, especially around our areas of caring, pioneering, and outperforming. Nice. So last question, we talked about how to get people to hear the message and buy into the message. Any tips for getting people to take real action? And again, you've talked about this a little bit, but any closing thoughts on? I would just say, listen, there is no magic bullet to DE&I or communications or any of these things. At the end of the day, this is a mindset that needs to be embedded in the way we act, behave, and then execute upon our responsibilities at work. It's not just the responsibility of a DEI officer or a DEI team. And making sure that an organization really embraces what it means to be a more inclusive company, I believe will drive business benefit. In order to do that, you have to look one by one. Each employee has to see it in themselves as to how they can contribute to it. So I think it's a joint ownership. I think that the KPIs give us all the aspirations and things to work towards. But at the end of the day, um, let's think about it as a DE&I P&L. If we thought about it as a DE&I P&L and we made it more operational, wouldn't everyone be really behind it? So what is my, what are the little marks on my P&L that I can look at from a perspective of DE&I and then really evolve as a person that contributes to a larger culture within an organization? So it's not going to happen overnight, but I see, and I'm very proud of the strides that we're making as an organization in how we are treating individuals within our organization, but also the kinds of forms that we're creating for dialogues and discussion and bringing that conversation to bear. So we have work to do, but I'm super excited. And what a better time to be on this journey, to be in this industry and to be being able to make an impact in the world that I think is sustainable and meaningful for many generations to come. I like that. So every individual can just think about what can I put in the profit column and not and take out of the loss column in terms of being inclusive. I love right. it. I love that. I love that. It's what is it that is my role to play in this? And we all play a role in it. And I think that the more the more we have the curiosity to understand, the more we will thrive as companies, organizations, and an industry. Excellent. Well, Renee Connolly, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. This has been, I think, going to be very valuable to everybody listening, really. Thanks so much, Chris. I'm so happy and hope to be back. I hope you found a few things to take away there, both in terms of doing internal communications in general and or ideas about addressing DE&I in your own company. 
I mentioned planning season at the beginning. My sense is that face-to-face access in 2022 isn't going to be a whole lot better than it has been this year. And Zoom fatigue is a real thing. But good storytelling never goes out of style. And the good news is that recording high-quality audio and video is easier than ever. And I think people are more open to seeing video produced in different ways. That opens up a lot of doors in terms of finding new customers or employees. I know filling jobs is a challenge for a lot of companies these days. Folks are being pretty selective. So if you have a great culture, you probably have some great people who can talk about it. And they can tell your story, story of your company better than anyone And the level of effort required to do that is pretty minimal. If that sounds interesting, schedule something on my Calendly. I'll put a link in the show notes. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, you know someone or even work with someone who will also enjoy it. I'd be very grateful if you shared it with one or two of those folks. And I'll be back in a couple weeks with another new episode. Take care. Bye-bye.